guys, welcome back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. I am your host, Rafael Matuszewski, and joining me today is Taylor Lewis. Say hello. Hey, how's it going? Thank you for having me, by the way. <laughs> no worries. So any big plans for the weekend? Well, I just actually, <laughs> crazy thing enough, uh, three weeks ago I started massage therapy school, and since I work full-time as it is, um, I have to do like the night classes and part of this is Sundays. It's all day on Sundays and it's Super Bowl on Sunday. And I'm just like, man, so I'm going to have to try and sneak in part of the game while I'm missing it, trying to in this massage therapy class. But other than that, it's just trying to decompress a little bit from a crazy week and trying to relax and enjoy the time that I have off before it goes right back to ramping everything up. But nothing big. Jeez. Yeah, you just need somebody on your Facebook to, like, live stream the whole game. Well, and that's the thing. It's like, how do I get away with this without, like, because, and as much as I love the stuff, it's like, what I have a master's in kinesiology, and we, I, through, I mean, in 10 years of training, we've gone a lot of in-depth from, you know, whether it's muscles or biomechanics and stuff like that. And with massage therapy school, it's a lot of general type, you know, muscle type things. And to top it off, the time that this is going on is we're doing the general muscle um, class. So I'm like, do I have to be here for this? You know, because it's like, hey, this is where your hamstring's at. This is where your quad's at. And I'm like, man, I'm missing <laughs> Tom Brady or Matt Ryan throw a touchdown right now listening to like very general stuff. And I, I understand, you know, where they're going with it. But it's like it'd be a little bit different if we're actually working on, you know, soft tissue and stuff and doing manual work. But it'll be interesting to try and sneak in to see if I can see some of the game or just shut off all social media because I, I don't want to be seeing these Facebook posts saying this and that and not being able to see it. <laughs> yeah, so it's unfortunate. Uh, so to start us off, tell the audience who you are, what you do, and how you got into this whole industry. Yeah, so you know my name's Taylor Lewis, and let's see, I think it was about 10 years ago. Well, just like anyone else has probably been in, the, been in the industry, is they had some uh, some kind of fitness in their life, and I, I mean, played sports all my life. I came from a family of five brothers, you know, mom and dad, and being the youngest of five, and always looking up to my brothers, I was always trying to play with them and compete with them, and they wouldn't have it unless I was decent enough. And even then, sometimes like, dude, just go away. You know, you know, the younger brother <laughs> bugging to play. Yeah. And so the, I thought that was looking back was a huge blessing in disguise because they talked about it's like you want to be better than you go play with better people. Remember Barry Bonds once told me he's like, because I'd ask him, I was like, how do you get faster? He's like, I ran with Jerry Rice in in on the beach. And it's like, okay, you can't train that because that guy's so fast. How do you, you got to go catch Jerry Rice and it's a beach? So he's like, that's how I got faster. And so playing sports all my life, I ended up shifting just to baseball because, you know, I played soccer, I played basketball, and then I played baseball all the way up to the start of high school. And then I wasn't tall enough my freshman year for basketball. So cross that off the board. And then after my first year, freshman year, soccer i just wasn't fast enough the skills weren't there and i just wasn't as dedicated but i really loved baseball so i shifted to baseball and was lucky enough to um get a scholarship to play up in northern california at um university called sonoma state university it's division two baseball squad which was really good and i'm five nine and i'm a pitcher if you look at me and ask like it's funny because people are like, what position do you play? I was like, what? I always ask, what position do you think I played? And they're always saying catcher or second base because I have that stocky build, short. And I was actually a pitcher. And so since being 5'9 and 
having that issue, I had to work harder than everyone else. So I was up at the rec center at five o'clock. And I even remember sometimes being there at five o'clock and no one was there to open the rec center because it was, you know, students and stuff like that. So getting up early was always an issue with people. So sometimes I get frustrated because it'd be five o'clock, five oh five, and they still hadn't opened up. So I would work out at five o'clock in the morning, go to practice, do all that stuff, show up to practice an hour before, do ladder drills. If you, whatever you told me, I would go do it because I needed that extra edge. Well, what happened was I ended up getting hurt because of that because I overtrained. And so I had to spend a whole year on the DL watching our team go to Division II World Series and, you know, competing. And I was frustrated because I couldn't help my teammates out. So that summer I was like, what what do I need to do? I need to figure out why I got hurt. So I ended up meeting a guy named Bobby Aldridge who was in the area who was known for, you know, training high-level athletes. And so I, you know, I went over to him, and I, I will never forget the first day. He's like, bring in your program. I'm like, okay, lifting since I'm 14. I know exactly what I'm doing, played baseball. He looks at the program, looks at me, rips it up and throws it away and says, all right, let's begin. I'm like, what the hell? And he was like, so from there, he started breaking down the anatomy, the physiology, the biomechanics. And I was already in kinesiology, but I was shifting over to being a physical uh, education teacher at the time. And I was, that just clicked right then. I was like, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a strength coach and help athletes sooner than later from getting hurt and getting these kids when they're high school and younger to at least give them some ideas on stuff to properly progress themselves as they move forward. Whether they do it or not, at least I want to help give them information because I didn't learn any of this stuff till I was 21 going to my senior year. And so it was like, man, if I would have just had someone with type of, type of knowledge earlier, it would have been awesome. So played through, played through baseball and then in the kinesiology department, like where we're at, I just, something felt off. I was going into my senior year, you know, going to finish my degree. And I was like, you know what, what they're saying from these books and stuff, I just, something doesn't seem right. So, and I was already done with baseball and I had one more year. I was like, you know what, I'm leaving. So I'm originally from central California. Um, it's called, it's Hanford, California, but I say Fresno, California, which is, they call the central valleys, like they call the armpit of California. (laughs) So I ended up going back there and just taking one class each semester. Cause I knew if I got out of college, I wouldn't necessarily, it'd be so much harder to kind of get back going. And I just, I got a job at a Bally Tolls Fitness at the time. Um, and I just started traveling and lucky enough, I just, had an opportunity to work with hockey players and I had never trained hockey players because in the central Valley hockey is not as big as other places like Canada and stuff like that. So I didn't know anything about hockey. So I was like Googling it and this guy like Mike Boyle came online. I'm like, who's Mike Boyle? Like we're talking 21 years old, you know, (laughs) right early into the game. I don't know this side of the community. And so I got in his newsletter and he had posted, Oh, hosting a one day, seminar with uh dan john at our facility in boston i was like i don't know who dan john is but i want to see mike boyle (laughs) you know so i was like perfect it's on a saturday dad's from connecticut so i want to i've always wanted to go to boston so i'll fly out a couple days early see boston and then um go to this seminar well i get in on a thursday put my stuff up and it's cool because the place he recommended staying was like a bar restaurant connected to the hotel so you didn't have to leave so put my stuff up thursday night then go to the bar to sit down and have dinner and then probably 20 minutes later some guy taps me on the shoulder and says hey does anyone sit here i'm like no go ahead sits down and probably maybe 10 minutes later 
uh, he asked me, so what are you here for? I'm like, oh, I'm here for the Mike Boyle strength and conditioning, this and that. He's like, he's like, oh, my name's Dan John. I'm the keynote speaker. And I'm like, oh, no so way. I was like, it, yeah, I was like in shock. And he's like, so just, you want to just talk and ask me anything you want? I'm like, uh, cause I didn't know as much about him. So I didn't really have a lot to say to him. But three and a half hours later from drinking whiskey and hanging out and him writing on napkins, he's like, tomorrow we're going to do this. Tomorrow we're going to do that. And I'm like, Dan, tomorrow's Friday. It's not till Saturday. He's like, oh, Mike, Mike brought me in a day early. Do you want to come hang out with me? And I'm like, canceled oh, all my plans. <laughs> yeah. Long story short, ended up hanging out with him Friday, going to the thing with him Saturday, hanging out with him and Mike Went to a hockey game with him because Mike's like, hey, Dan, I'm going to pick you up for the hockey game. And turns to me, he's like, hey, you want to go to the hockey game with me? <laughs> and so it was a massive – I mean that was a big stepping stone Jeez. starting I think with Mike. Yeah, it was extremely you know, Super Bowl, hockey game, the whole weekend with Mike Boyle and Dan John. I mean it was unbelievable. Talk about right place at the right time. And then Dan started talking about, oh, you need to get into kettlebells. And I had no idea what a kettlebell was and – the key like Dan talks about was like, if you listen and show up, good things will happen. And I took his word, got HKC certified by him three months later, RKC certified. And Dan's been probably one of my biggest mentors ever since. And I've followed him around and worked with him and whatnot. And, and so he's helped thrive my career to where I, um, you know, trying to go. And then after just taking that route, kind of started to fulfill what I was, you know, looking for with this whole academia versus application type stuff. And so six years, you know, I think probably four years later, I actually went back to Sonoma State because I got offered a job in Northern California, finished my bachelor's degree, went right into the master's program. And then, then the, a big turning point happened was, let's see, when I first started my master's program in two. I see we're uh, 2014-15. Um, I was lucky enough that my brother it was uh, doing his residency at Stanford University in uh, cystic fibrosis. So he specializes in the GI track and does research. And we were driving over to Stanford one day, and he'd asked me, he's like, hey, you know, when you get your master's project done, would you be interested in possibly helping out with this fitness stuff with these CF people? And I was like, I really didn't know what cystic fibrosis was. And I was like, but I knew if my brother's doing it, then, and he's trying to make an impact, there's something here. And I was like, I hadn't really solidified what my master's project or thesis was going to be. I was going to do something on post-activation potentiation, but there was so much data out there. I was like, you know what? Screw it. Let's just do my project on that. So we ended up getting a client to do a case study. And what I was trying to show after looking all at this research was to show that a lot of the research done in the fitness with people with CF was cardiovascular based because it is um, a lung disease and we can get more into it a little later. But what we did was we kind of took out the cardio component and I wanted to show that positional breathing exercises and strength training should also be looked at and should be as beneficial when programming because it'd be like, okay, we're going to do a 20 minute cardiovascular test we're gonna do this this but it's like if you want to do weights go ahead and do it so it wasn't really subscribed in a way that you know to see anything different and we saw a massive impact with uh 
in four months what this client did and it just started the wheels rolling with this cf stuff and it started to get people interested and so that kind of is now shifted to where i'm kind of shifting my importance besides obviously working with athletes mainly baseball players right now a lot of my importance now i'm shifting over to cf because the the impact and fulfillment i have from that is i mean it's un, uncanny it's unexplainable and it's just it's awesome to work with these individuals so i mean that's in a kind of close nutshell that's where i'm at after i think 10 years now this is kind of everything get the ball rolling and stuff man you touched on a lot in that last like 10 i know minutes. <laughs> it's, 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 there's a lot of density so quickly that it's yeah it was it was it's been a it's been an amazing ride for 10 years and people ask like well how'd you how'd you get here how'd you do that and it goes back to what dan john says just just show up but uh but I think a big key with that is understand why you're showing up. Yes, show up and do this and do that, but understand where you know where you're trying to go with this to a certain extent. And if you don't, something will come out of it anyways. But just getting to understand while showing up because you can show up anywhere. But if there's nothing behind that, and my whole thing was I showed up because I wanted to get better and make an impact on someone's life. And at first it was athletes. I was like, the more I know with all these top strength coaches, the better – but then when the CF came to be, I was like, I'm showing up now because the more I can get, I know this stuff will CF will help. And then everything just starts to fall into place, you know? Yeah. I just wanted to say like with Dan John, he's so humble and he's been in this industry forever. And like, I remember when I first started this podcast, I just like cold emailed him. And then within yeah. that hour, he's like, yeah, sure. I'll come on. And like, I didn't have to like sell him on anything. And he's like, yeah, we can just chat for an hour. I'm like, Jeez, this is like a dream come true. And it's it's crazy because I'll be at conferences with him where there's a lot of people and he gives his phone number, his email, all his like contact information. Practically the only thing he doesn't give you is his address. And he'll give that to you once you contact him because it's say, sure. He's like, Well, how do you do this? Well, just come lift. He's like, Wait, you want me to go to your house and lift with you? He's like, Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, but people don't take advantage of it. And we're, it's curious because I remember that we were somewhere where there's like 500 to 1,000 people. And probably let's just say 200 of them were in his talk or 150, whatever it was. I was like, so Dan, how many think out of these people will contact you? He's like, maybe two. And it's like, are you like, Jeez. it's amazing the disconnect on what he's offering because he legitimately says – he will give everything and anything, and it's 100% true. And he, you don't have to ask for much. His his big thing is he just has to understand that you care and you're willing to put in the work to get what is needed done. Because the biggest thing in his, what I've learned from him and from my parents and from my brothers is making a difference in the world and not just in yourself, but trying to make an impact on th this community and communities around you because – there's little tidbits from everything we do in fitness and nutrition and whatever it is in the fitness industry that you do that can help other people. And it's very impactful. And, you know, it's just un extremely humbling to have someone like that in my life that's helped me for the past six years. Just at any point, just talk to him. And he's like, any place, like, show up. We'd love to have you. And if it's, if there's no, he's just, like you said, a very humble individual. And it's, it's rare to see these days, you know, and it's, 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 it's extremely rare. Yeah. Cause I remember when I first started the podcast, I was emailing like every coach that I look up to and the ones that haven't even been in the industry that long, like Dan, they didn't even bother replying to me. But then yeah. like with Dan, like within that day, he's like, yeah, sure. Let's do it. 
I was like surprised that he would even like look at his email and not have like some sort of assistant or person to filter through all his emails. Yeah. And, and you put that into context of how big of an individual he is, not only in the industry, but in all these other industries and stuff like that. And you're like, wow, this guy probably doesn't have necessarily time. If you were to look at his schedule, um, he, not necessarily the time, but he makes the time because he, he knows that if he gives back, that's a possibility that some that person can then give back to someone else and then can give back to someone else. And it's it goes back to he talks about like leaving a legacy and stuff like that. He his goal is to get to the point where when he moves on, that people are able to take not only what he has, but be able to use it in their own words and impact other individuals in a way that can help others impact each other. And I think that's what it's all about. And I think sometimes we get away from that type of stuff when be like social media posting these arm workouts and stuff like that. And it's like, man, that's awesome. But when you die, what is that arm workout going to do for someone else that could possibly help someone beyond that and beyond that and beyond that. And it's like, we look at just instant, not the whole, how can that affect people down the road and then someone else or then someone else. And simple as him emailing you back or getting on the podcast creates this massive ripple effect that's going to now take you to somewhere else that's going to help you do this. And then it just, you know, it's, it's amazing if you actually look deep down of the depth of what it actually truly can bring. I mean, it's, it's very powerful. Oh, definitely. Like for my social media, like on Instagram, if anybody likes any of my posts, I will actually take the time to go onto their account and message them and say like, Hey, what's up? What's going on? What are you in the fitness industry for blah, blah, blah. And like so many times people are like, sorry, I don't want anything to be sold to me. I'm like, I'm not selling you anything. I just want to see what's going on. If I can, if I can help at the same time. So it just, it just shows yeah. like there's so much crap out there in the fitness industry where people are constantly like pushing, like, Oh, buy my book, buy my DVD. This is the workout that you need for a bigger arm, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I think that's a huge disconnect now too, because I was just, you know, I was telling people, I was like, how many times do you see videos of people failing on there or people say, Hey, this flow is really good. It's like, okay, you may feel good now, but what about, you know, six months later? It's like people want to put stuff on that look good. Like there's never like, no one ever sees the failure. No one ever sees the process. And sometimes people just put stuff on cause they feel good and it feels good right, right then. But if you were to test retest that over four or five weeks, maybe that night might not be the best thing, but it's like all about, not only you or trying to put something out there that people like, because with the whole validation thing right now, people go on Instagram just to see how many likes they get on a certain post, and that validates if their exercise or flow they put on you know, is good enough. And it's like we're getting away from why are you doing this flow to feel better? Okay, how can you take that flow and then help someone that doesn't feel better? And do you have – I mean I think the biggest people is like this is one reason why – I like doctors and certain people that do all these things without any recognition. I think those are the true coaches and stuff because they don't, if they don't care to necessarily put it on social media and do all these different things because they know what they're doing is trying to help someone else, whether they fail or not, that's not the issue. It's the fact that they're doing it for a cause to help other individuals or a cure or whatever it might be. It's not because I want 10,000 followers and I want to get sponsored by a supplement or I want this or I want this recognition. I mean, recognition comes down the road through pure, you know, your passion to help others out. 
that's where recognition can come from. And it, it's, it sometimes gets distorted in our industry when there's so many ways to skin a cat. And it's just, so we, sometimes we get away from it. And unfortunately, even sometimes when we look at people like motivational speakers talking about certain things where you have to grind and you have to do this. And I think sometimes we get out of the context of what that truly means and stuff. And so people start posting a lot of things that I need a lot of likes. And if, if I do this and I add this and I get all this and then I get all of it out, it's like, that's for you to be successful in this external, like, okay, you have a million dollars, but you've done nothing when you pass away to help an individual out that is searching for help or needs something from someone or just needs someone that just to listen to. And then when people will, you know, Facebook message you, oh, you're trying to sell me something. No, it's like, it's, we are getting away from why we're in this industry of truly caring for each other. And, you know, it's, it's unfortunate to a certain degree, but you know, there's always positive negatives with everything that we take in and take out. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting how things are going. So I've been asking this to like a lot of the people I've been interviewing. Do you think we've failed as an industry to help the general public with all this crap that we see all the time on social media? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, do you think I've, I'm a very optimistic individual. I, I see failure as a positive thing and, you know, a lot of failures finally helps find a solution to things. Um, I, it's hard to say because it depends on the context of what's going on and stuff like that. And it's like, it depends on who's driving this or who's driving that. And people can say, Oh, well they felt because of this, but we can't be necessarily saying that if we don't know who it is, we don't know what it is, what's their goal behind it, this and that. I just very, similar to Dan is since a very old school is like, if you just get into, you're doing it because you care and get people to know that you care. I just think we should like start selling products later in a sense of like, get there and hang out with a person, help them out. And then down the road, and I get it. People have to pay bills and stuff like that. And people want to be these amazing, you know, celebrity, all this, you know, hoopla, but I don't know. It just, it just depends. I just sometimes wish some, especially our younger generation that are in the industry is like, just let the process happen. And, you know, I, Dave Whitley, I remember talking to him, he was at like a strength matters thing and he was talking about, you shouldn't be talking or going on Instagram and saying all these things, unless you've been in the trenches for multiple, you know, years of working 12 to 16 hour days and stuff like that. And I, I think that's extremely true. I think sometimes, we start to put stuff on too soon because, you know, we're only, we're in two years in the game and we're putting this content. And I totally understand it. Like, it's awesome. You know, you, you have the balls to start putting stuff on there and getting feedback and that's awesome. But sometimes I think people, I think people need a little bit more depth in the industry before they start putting all this stuff out there. Cause someone's going to take it, especially someone that's younger and take it in a context. That's not right. Like I was talking to one of our athletes today about weighted ball exercises and you'll see someone do something and hit a hundred miles an hour, but you don't know the context of what's going on. Like what's his training program, like all these different variables that come into it. What's the volume, what she's doing it. And then you get this big, just generic, okay, weighted ball program. This is what he does. And all of a sudden they get hurt or something happens. And so I think sometimes a lot of times it's like we take out a context of what, what is actually being said. And then, and I think a lot of times the context isn't even there that like we shouldn't even be looking at it. But, you know, 
yeah, in a rough answer, I think it just really depends. I think the good thing is we're at least doing something. I mean, it's better than doing nothing, but I think if we just spend a little bit more time before we push things out there, I mean, it goes back to like I talk about, you talk about research and, you know, people, you look at research articles that take four or five years to get published or research takes two, three years before they even start, you know, you know, trying to get it published. And it's like, I think that's where the true content really comes from because it, everything has to marinate, everything has to grow. And, you know, one thing right now, and then two days later, you say it works. Uh, I would be, it'd be very cautious on that. And not only that is, it's like, you think about it. So there's stuff out there now, like I was we were talking about like people comparing research from someone pre-testing and then post-testing 10 minutes later and they compare it to a study that was tested and the people post-tested four days later. And like, well, it's just like this study that does, but it's not. And when people see these products, it's like they don't spend enough time researching it. You know, like people go in yeah. and be like, okay, it must work because this person has these research articles. Well, did you read the research articles? No, but this person says this. I was like, who wrote the research articles? Who funded the research articles? You have to look at all these different variables to these this context and then actually read the research and then sit down and take a second and absorb it and then come up with a logical answer. And it may change based on your philosophies. That's fine. But um, – I was actually reading the book, The uh, Art of Not Giving a F, and they were talking about how when you're in a, not an argument, but when you're going back and forth about something, and say you have two different types, like here's a product, and there's one saying this and one saying that, you have a bias anyways to go, when you look at the research, to look at research that fits what you think is true anyways, right? So if there was, you know, so we're going to, internally transition over and read research that validates what we think. Now do you have, you know, the ability to shift over and read six articles that are saying what you're saying is false? Because that's where I think the true where you get true value out of it. Cause this person's telling you this person's trying to tell you no based on data and research they believe has been put together. But we tend to shift to the other side and be like, we'll read one of them, but then we'll read six of what validates what we have. So then we can't come back to, I I see everything like a continuum, right? Everything we do is a continuum. Everything is based on a continuum. And we tend to shift to one side more than the other based on doesn't matter, environment, whatever it is, our, our beliefs. And But we don't, we'll go to the other side and maybe read a little bit, but then we shift right back over the question is, can, do you have, you know, can you get over there, read that, and then read the other stuff, and then make a justifiable answer or put together a justifiable answer? And do you have the balls to say if it, if your actually answer is not correct, do you have this? Do you have the ability and balls to own up to and say, you know what, I was wrong because this and this and this and this, and that's what happens. Is a lot of times we don't have the balls to do that. And that's, I remember when I was first talking, this is funny because you always learn new things all the time. And then you reflect, you're like, wow, I can't believe I thought this. But when I was at Sonoma state and we're, they're doing all this research and I was like, you know what? I, I get research, but it's all in the laboratory. You know, it's all, everything is defined. You know, there's no, the variables don't change like it does in the outdoor world. So I don't believe this as much. I didn't discount it, but I was like, this can't be always true. And 
But then working with people at CF, and I think the big kicker was when I went to the North American Cystic Fibrosis Conference last year and spoke, and then I heard other fitness people speak, like the physical therapist. They will legitimately go to this North, they went to the North American Conference, put out their study, and they said, you know, we looked at this and we looked at this, and it didn't come out how we thought, and this is not accurate. They legitimately said what they their hypothesis they thought it was going to be wasn't in front of all these people. And I was like, you know what? That's that's extremely powerful because if you have someone in the fitness industry that goes to a conference and can legitimately say, you know, we tried this, we did this, and this was, and it's not true because we did it. But no one does that. Their things always work. Why does everyone's stuff always work? That doesn't make sense. And it's, yeah. it, it could be an ego thing. It doesn't matter what it is. But you telling me that this always works is not going to help me improve. Because if we find out what went wrong, let's test something else or retest this or try this so we can get a legitimate answer. But this is, this is why I have so much respect for these doctors and researchers because they'll try something. If it didn't work, they have the balls to say, yeah, it didn't work. We're going to try something else, which is powerful. Yeah, I think the only coach that I've ever heard like say that he was wrong was Mike Boyle. And he said that, you know, throughout yeah. his career, he's like, I probably change my mind on a, something every like three to six months and people get mad at me. But it's like I found something better or the way that I was doing it before was researched and it doesn't work. So I need to adjust. Yeah, that's it's so powerful beyond like I think people are like, OK, but but it is because you're set. Him saying that is setting other people up for success, yeah. and that's what people do. people are looking like. Oh, if I say that I'm wrong, you know, people don't think I'm a good trainer. My ego is going to go down. But they don't look at why are you here again? You're here to help other people out. You fail so you can help others succeed, and that's the key. Help others. Stop thinking about yourself. Help others because if you have these things in front of you that other people don't. Like I'm lucky enough that my brother's at Stanford so I can talk to him and other, all these other doctors. So if I don't utilize those resources to help other people out, then what am I doing for this industry but thinking it's all about me? And that's one thing. It was just like that's extremely powerful stuff. People say, crap, you know, I failed. So I'm just going to tell them, you know, people will lie or no, this does work. This does work. I was like, you're not helping anyone, you know? Yeah. It, do, it, it doesn't make sense. Man, I feel like I could like ask you one question and just let the recording go for a full hour. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. awesome. So, yeah, no, it's just it's all it all. Yeah, it's it's, it's fun. This is fun. Uh, so let's shift our gears. Uh, can you tell the audience what cystic fibrosis is and why they should care about it? Yeah. So just in general, um, cystic fibrosis is a defective gene. Um, and we all, so there's this gene called CFTR, it's cystic fibrosis transmembrane regulator, and we all have it. It's a protein gene. And what happens is, um, there's a mutation difference in what this does in, in multiple organs from the lungs, um, from the pancreas and kidneys and all these things in the lungs, there's like a buildup of mucus because, um, like if we want to get a little bit more physiologically, what happens is there's this CFTR um, gene deals with sodium and chloride, and it's all about crossing a membrane. And the, the protein, what it does is it regulates that. 
And so when there's when there's a various in mutation, and there's a lot of different mutations, I want to say there's over seventeen hundred different mutations of this. And what happens is when it's not able to transfer the sodium chloride properly, there's a dysfunction, and then the regulation is off. So, for instance, in lungs, you'll get a buildup of mucus in the lungs. And so the body, the lungs are trying to clear something. It takes a lot longer to clear this mucus and stuff like that. And then when you're, you're talking about, like, the pancreas and stuff like that, it blocks up the ability to, like, release digestive enzymes, so breaking down food and stuff like that. And so it affects differently versus lungs and all these different things. But in, in a general perspective, it's this CFTR protein that is not doing what it's supposed to be doing. And um, so I, I think when it says why should people care, not, I, I would say why not? You know, yeah. it's, it's, you know it's, it's a rare disease in a sense because it's not like I think it's – I think – it's considered a rare disease if it's less than 100,000. But there's 30,000 in the U.S. that have CF and like over 70,000 worldwide. And there's talking about over 1,000 new cases a year. And so this is growing and the awareness needs to get out there to be like, hey, you know, this could possibly happen. And the thing about with CF is so since it's a genetic thing, both um, – both male and female have to have it right and they both and if they do have the gene there's like a one in four chance so if they both have to be carriers there's a one in four chance that your child will have cf and if if they don't then there's like a 50 percent chance that they will become a carrier of it and then so it's it's a big thing and so being more aware of what's out there will help. And not only that is the good thing about, I guess you could say is it's, you can, they test it early through a, a sweat test. So if you, if their sweat is, has a higher concentration of sodium chloride, it's, it's saltier then it's, there's limit, like limited chance that there's going to be a, a false negative or a positive negative about it. So you, they, every, baby is tested for cf in the u.s and so yeah so it's not like well if you have this symptom or this everyone is tested in the u.s with cf for cf sometimes this sometimes the cf doesn't push what it needs to to like so they could have cf and it could be it could be very light to moderate and then all of a sudden when they get older it can really take massive effect in its own right but um I, my goal before I end up passing away was that is to help create a better awareness about CF, cystic fibrosis, and to help other people with CF. Because my goal is to help these doctors and all these the nutritionists and respiratory therapists on my side of it is filling the fitness gap, you know, helping them so we can get out better to get out efficient programs for people with CF because how I, another, like kind of how I got involved was when my brother asked me this, he was like, we'd have clients be in the hospital and they can't, you can't leave your hospital um, room because with other CF clients, they can't necessarily be around each other if they're having exacerbating symptoms. So they're asking for programs and exercise stuff to do. And they're like, you know, they're, the doctors are busy with what they're doing. The nutritionists are busy with what they're doing. So they're like, you know, 
you know, just try and exercise, walk, run, whatever it is. And if you're looking for stuff, you can go online and look for workouts. And so they didn't really have anyone to fill the gap in that thing. And I was like, dude, this would be perfect. Um, but this not only working with people with CF and working with people with baseball players, it will help show or stuff that we can do with adult population as well. Because I have to be very particular on what I do with people with CF because another thing with CF is a lot of times is they have a tendency. It's like they can't do as much because they're going to peter out a little quicker than others, you know, especially, you know, especially when you have severe lung issues or stuff like that, you can't just ramp people up and have them go do full on sprints that could exacerbate them, their symptoms. So you have to come up with a progressive way to keep them improving, but them to like it and improve their quality of life. And so it's going to, it's going to help show me not only like what can we help with general population what works for them is going to work for everyone else you know because they're on one side of the spectrum and so not only is it very profound to help and impact people but it's 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 another way to help find more about fitness that we can do to improve the quality of how we train people whether it's people with cf or with um our adult population baseball players athletes in general and so i think that's why Dan talks about helping out an underserved community and stuff like that. It's like, I, I think that's one of the most profound things like helping other people out like that would be extremely beneficial because you're going to see things and find things that can help others. And then that can help others and that can help others. And it's not just working with them. It's the goal is to, you know, progressively make this a bigger impact on the world. So I hope like in a general thing, I kind of, answered that question without going too too science on you um so what made your brother decide to get into cystic fibrosis for his residency oh that's a great question um so i well he so he went um to illinois to do his phd and stuff and i remember you talking about he loved he loves kids like he he was going to be in pediatrics he just didn't know what i don't know exactly how he fell into cf but um, it just happened to fall in when he was doing it at um, when he was in Illinois at the university there. And then it was funny because when he went to um, do his interview at Stanford, they didn't really have his position, but because they'd like discontinued it like 20, 30 years before that, just because things weren't working out. And my brother's the type of guy that you just go in there. He, he's one of those. He's in his 40s now, but you talk to him at 16 years old or 20, he, he acts 20 years old or very mature, very, very balanced emotions, which I think is extremely key, not only in CF, but I think in life, because everything is emotionally driven, right? When someone makes a comment and you don't like it, your first thing is, okay, your emotions go high, and all of a sudden you make a comment based on your emotions. He's a very mellow in a sense understands it gets it and is able to retract something in a way or put out something like that so that was very profound and um yeah i don't really know i I mean i remember him telling me way back but i don't really remember why he got into cf but i knew he wanted to do something in pediatrics because he just he loves kids and he loves helping out yeah i only ask because like sometimes you hear about like doctors and they do the residency and then they become why did they say fall into like colonoscopies and you're like so what made you feel like you wanted to do that yeah, for the right. rest of your life yeah. I'm, I'm just curious um what's kind of like the average lifespan and like quality of life for someone with cf 
Yeah, so and it all it all really depends because once again we talk about all these various mutations. You know, some people with CF just have you know very light issues with lungs, and, and maybe it could be more of a pain, pancreas issue. Or some people have severe lung issues where they need uh, a double lung transplant and stuff like that. So when I was looking at the research a while back, now we're talking they've gotten people to live you know forty to fifty give or take in age. Um, I remember hearing like 10, 15 years ago that people were, you know, it was like, it was rare to see people past 30 years old. So there's been gigantic steps in, in this process to hopefully find a cure for this. Cause like I said, there's no cure for this disease, but we're getting people to live 40, 40 to 50 years old. Now, when before it was like 20 years old, going to pass away at 18. So, um, it's, they've, gotten huge huge strides in what's going on and which has been amazing and stuff like that and it's it i'm very humbled and impressed because i've been in the clinic so i'll go down to um, stanford university and observe in the clinics and i've dedicated you know these past few years to try and engulf myself in the community because i don't believe you can write proper programming or be able to justify what you're doing unless you you live in the in the world of the community to a certain degree and to see being the clinics. And I remember one of the, one of the game changers was, I think it was like six or seven months ago, um, that a 13 year old was in the clinic and she was like on the number one in pediatrics for a lung transplant, but she was like, uh, in the middle for adults and she's walking, she's doing what she can. And she just straight out of nowhere, just asked the doctor how long she has to live. And I'm like, Oh, it just got like Jeez. dead silent, but the doctor's just looking at her smiling. Like, you know, I'm like, Holy smokes, this is about to go down. And she's like, honestly, you really want me to tell you? She's like, yeah. She's like, you know, you're doing extremely well, you know, but we're keeping hope at one to one and a half to two years. And I was just like, oh, a 13 year old just asked that question and she was still positive. And I'm like, that really looked, told me, look in the mirror, like, really, what do you have to complain about type thing? Yeah, yeah. You know, even though, I try to be as humble as I can. That was a reality check, even when it's on, because you're like a 13 year old just out to ask the doctor knowing she's about to die. And she was still, she's like, okay, thank you. And you're like, are you kidding me right now? Like I walked out and I looked at her and she's like, yeah, this happens a lot. And I'm just like, I had to take a deep breath. And man, it was, but that just empowered me more. That just lit more under me to help out more. I up my hours down there, up my research. Like that was like, okay, like I'm, I'm down, I'm down to help. Like, cause I'm trying to do whatever I can in our field to possibly, I know fitness is not going to cure the disease, you know, but if we can get someone moving better, improving lung function, maybe something while they're doing that, while a doctor is researching, something's going to see something because they have better lung function. That's going to get them to try this drug out or try this slight change in gene or whatever it is that's going to help. So I was like, all right, game on. I need to, I need to up my game because there's like, I know that's when I just stamp on the thing. I know exactly what I'm shifting. A lot of my importance to is cystic fibrosis because there's, I know why I'm here now. Like I knew it, but I was like, okay, let's go, man. That's you know? awesome. Good for you. That's crazy. Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah, you don't really see like when I like searched you up, I'm like, this is the first time I've ever seen a coach with like a side project like this. And now you explaining the amount of effort you're putting into it is like, it's amazing. Cause I don't, I haven't even heard of that before. 
Yeah, we're and we're about to hopefully in the next six weeks launch the website um, cysticfibrosisfitness.com. And the goal with that website is it's going to be a fitness website. It's going to just be a launching point for people with CF to be able to get on and look at different workouts that we've done or videos that very simple videos that they can do at home. Because a lot of times, sometimes, and it's just like adult population or general population. How many people are either scared to go to the gym or they don't want people to judge them or there's a lot of reasons why people don't go to the gym. Now imagine a population that their lung function is lower than the normal population. They have to, you know, they have hospital visits, they have clinical visits, they have to deal with doing breathing treatments every day, um, multiple uh, medications that they have to take, and then expect them to go to the gym. So, So what we're trying to do with this website is if you don't even want to tell people you're working out, if you don't even, if you want to just do it on your own, that you're able to go on the website, look at workouts, and start doing them based on workouts we've done with people with CF. And then if you really like it, you can send us, you know, you can uh, contact us and let's let's write you a program, you know. So hopefully in six weeks this this website gets launched so we can start a platform because my ultimate ultimate goal eventually will happen as long as I don't die in the next you know 10 15 years <laughs> um is to open up the cystic fibrosis fitness institute my goal is to open up this institute where we can do fitness research related whether it's close to stanford or another medical place where when they go to clinic you know every three months they go and see people uh the doctors for clinics and a lot of times people fly in from all over to do it so it's, it's not like everyone lives right there and be able to come in. We can do fitness testing. We can give them programs. We can give them stuff to do. And then we'll see you in three months or we'll contact. It's like doing like some online training on throughout that. And so that's that's my ultimate goal is to start with the website, see where it goes, and then just kind of move forward with that. And eventually that's what I want to do is open a fitness institution for people with cystic fibrosis. So then we can do more research on CF and you know we have a place to do it. Oh man, that's amazing. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Jeez. Um, so from a training and nutrition standpoint for people with CF, like what do you recommend? What would you do for a person like that? Yeah. So with a nutrition component, we always just refer straight to their nutritionist at the clinics because with CF, once again, they want them to gain a lot of times, like we says with the pancreas and the enzymes and it's hard to, you know, digest and consume food to keep it we want to, we just straight to the nutritionist because those nutritionists are specialized in CF because a lot of them want to have, you know, they want them to gain weight, even if they are heavier, like they don't want them to lose this weight because you start to see things go downhill. So we just refer to your nutritionist, you know, there's one time that I gave recommendations, but that was because the lady sent me a journal of what she's eating. I went over to the clinic because she didn't have a nutritionist and I asked the CF nutrition clinics like what do you think about this what would you recommend and all i did was i was a messenger so if people with cf just straight we don't do any nutritional thing because that's we will not touch that because they have a reasoning behind what they're doing with um, stuff like that now with now with training i see it as like volume over time you know it's we do a lot of you know dan john's easy strength and like the rule of 10 where we do all the fundamental human movements we do a cup in the beginning do a couple sets of five you know or three by three and people are like well that must be extremely heavy weight no just because we have three reps or we have five reps doesn't mean they're lifting thousands of pounds we're just looking at the reps because once again 
the conditioning levels with people with CF is going to be a little bit lower. So it's like if you're if you max out 100%, their max out 100% is about 50 to 70% RPE. So I'm looking at how many reps we can get in over a week and not a day. How many reps we can get in in a month, not a week. And so that's the key with our thing is all volume over time, getting every movement in that we can, but two sets of five or a five, three, two. It's more about necessarily the reps and them living on like the Borg or RPE scale of around five to seven, depending on the day. So we'll undulate that. So one day mm-hmm. I want you to feel a six out of 10. The next day I want you to feel a five out of 10. The next day I want you to feel a seven out of 10. And it's spaced out whether it's a two, three or uh, four day um, workout program. But I, that's been a huge insight for us is doing that. And then a key thing is the positional breathing stuff. So we always start, you know, I'm a big advocate in PRI stuff. I'm, I just actually got PRI uh, certified or trained because we want to start using, we want to start doing the research in the clinics for this because I think it's awesome. that powerful because they have to do breathing treatments every day. So we're trying to like get in there and, hey, hey, if you just reposition yourself while you do your breathing treatments, even if it's for three or four breaths, then I think we can see an improvement because it's just like anything else. If you go to squat in a bad setup, then it's, you're not going to get what you want out of it. So we give them a breathing exercise. They'll do some exercise, some strength stuff and low rep type volume stuff. And then we'll give them another breathing exercise in between sets. And we really try to look at the bigger picture because it's going to be a process just like anything else. And that's one big thing that I learned when we looking with people with CF versus even general population, it goes back to you write a workout out, the client's going to look at it and be like, okay, so I got 10 sets of 10 on bench press. You know, they look at today, but then they don't realize on maybe Thursday and Friday, they're doing pushups and they're doing this. And then they look, if you were to look at their whole volume for that week, it's like they've done a thousand pushups or pushes, you know? And it's like, people like to tend to say, what do I do today? How much do I need to do? But then when they, if they were to write it all out, it's like you don't realize how much you're actually doing at such a high intensity of work. And so it's plus the recovery. It's like our key is to make sure they don't have to get up and be sore and fall over like, oh my gosh, I can't move because that doesn't work for them. They can't just be crushed to the ground and think they're going to get up the next day. That may push their symptoms to, to the point where they may have to go to the hospital to get checked because it's, it was too much. So it's like we want to make it just enough so in two days they can do it again, in two days they can do it again, and they can keep going. Yes, there's going to be some soreness, but not the soreness that we deal with where we get up and like, oh, I can't move. I'm going to fall out of bed. My hamstrings are going to rip off my pelvis type stuff. <laughs> like we don't want that stuff, you know, and, and it's just it, would, it wouldn't be what we're trying to get out of it. So, yeah, it's more of the volume over, you know, time type thing, accumulation Okay. Do you guys use any like vitals to like check on them throughout the the training session, like heart rate or anything like that? Um, right now I'm doing a lot of outpatient stuff. So it's a lot more like online stuff. I don't work with a lot of CF patients, like hands on, like weekly type Mm -hmm. stuff just because they're spread out. Um, haven't done a lot of that just because getting someone with C once again, I hope people take this in the context of there's outliers. Like I I've worked with CF patients that are just straight badasses. I'm working with one right now that goes to, um, 
the transplant game. So if you've had a transplant, liver, pancreas, lungs, whatever it is, it's like the Invictus games for um, for vets where she has like 19 gold medals. And I'm probably going to butcher this. So if she hears this, I apologize. <laughs> but I, and I think it's like six silvers and two bronze or it could be flipped around. I don't know. But she has a lot of medals in swimming. So don't get me wrong there. And she has a double lung transplant like wow. five, six years ago. So there's outliers where we can push a little bit more. But the big key is at first, especially if we're talking, if we're talking a mean of CF people is getting them to show up and do something, whether it's going out and walking to the mailbox and back. Cause another thing is imagine having a disease or something that no one knows a cure for and doesn't know how long you're going to live. Are you going to be really excited to wake up every day in a sense? Not only that is you have to get up and do an hour of breathing treatments and then you have to take, you know, 20 pills and then that night you have to do a breathing treatment and your energy levels are low and you're coughing up mucus. Once again, this is general. Some have more than others, but sometimes it's more, how do we get these people to do something more than anything? So we're, I don't think we're at the point right now where we're, for me, at least outpatient wise, we're not testing that type of stuff. What we are working with, and we will eventually in the research labs when we're like legitimately putting this on paper and trying to get it published type stuff, we'll, we're going to check as much as we can. What I'm looking at is like Borg scale is how much after this exercise, you know, we have every, every test is Borg scale. It's like, okay, was this hard? Was it easy? You know, we'll do a wall sit for tests, see how long they're able to do it. But a, a key too is their recovery in between sets. Like, did you do each in a row? Did you have to pause in between this and that? Because like I said, a big key, what we work with the diaphragmatic breathing and positional breathings with these clients after exercises, because we want to get to the point where, especially go back to general, it's like we always talk about the workout, but we don't talk about the recovery in between, right? So, man, I did this and I did this. And then I just, you know, if you, if you look at it, it's like they just stood there for a minute before they went into their, their next set. Well, if you ramped them up, of course, they're going to get a lot of secondary breathing and all this exact, you know, breathing heavy and stuff like that. But has anyone ever really like that? Okay. We have a minute off 30 seconds, just hang out. And then the other 30 seconds, I want you to work on diaphragmatic breathing in through the nose, out through the mouth. Cause if you think about it, subconsciously nine, 95 to 97% of our choices are made subconsciously. So if we're able to train the system to go into diaphragmatic breathing, more efficient breathing sooner than later in our recovery, whether it's one minute, two minutes, five minutes, just imagine what your performance levels are going to be that next set. Because it's not in order to be able to do what you do, you have to have an efficient recovery process else it's going to take longer or you're not going to get to your optimal performance or be able to last as long it just is what it is you need oxygen to transfer stuff it just and if you're getting a lot of uh, discrepancy on the co2 versus the oxygen in between sets yes you may be able to crush that but what if you could add 20 pounds what if you could have sprinted 10 more you know 10 more meters with half a second less if we would have just worked on the recovery of that one minute breathing or like, all right, for 15 seconds type thing. So that's something we work on a lot too, is working on diaphragmatic breathing in between sets, whether it's a minute or two, or we'll, um, we do that a lot with in the beginning with our strength exercises. We don't do like ISO holds for time. It's more for breath. So planking side planking, I don't say 30 seconds. I don't say a minute. It's like, okay, I want five breaths. I want 10 breaths and it's in through the nose as much as you can. And then out through the mouth as much as you can, because first 
We get good breathing out of it, which is if you look at volume over time, and we had four planks for um, 10 breaths that whole week. That's 40 more efficient breaths that week that I got from this individual that lives already, you know, fight or flight because they're trying to fight, um, fight to find a cure then it's going to improve everything else. And then you get away from, okay, I got to hold a plank for a minute. What am I going to do? You're going to, people are going to tense up the neck. They're going to tense up the upper extremities. They get away from, you know, using what they should utilize right off the bat type stuff. Man, that was so, a lot of information. That was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I was going to say, like, we got to get to our last question because we're already going up to an hour I feel like this could have been like a two or three hour conversation. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, So if people wanted to find more information about you, where can they find you online? If you have any like events coming up or any kind of product coming out or anything like that, if you want to tell the audience. Yeah. So um, you can go to like um, tlstrength.com. My Facebook page is Taylor Lewis Strength Coach. I think my Instagram is tlstrength35 or it's like, TLR Lewis 35 and the 35 was my old baseball number. Um, like I said, our CF website will be coming out hopefully in six weeks. And then that's when I'm going to shift, um, everything over that. We're going to be taking the TL, TL strength stuff away, but TLstrength.com and then Taylor Lewis strength coach. And if anyone with CF is hearing this and knows someone that'd be very interested in, you know, doing some type of study with us, with our fitness stuff, all we're doing right now is all free all the time spent doing this, I'm not getting paid $1 for any of this. And we're doing this because I want to help out. So if there's anyone that thinks that they could know someone that would be possibly interested or just I just want to talk to more people, CF, whether it's or people in the community. I think that's a big thing with this podcast is I want to like anyone like please contact me. You can also contact me at tlstrength at gmail.com. I would love to talk to you, see what I can do to help out or just see how we can improve what we're doing. That's awesome. You're doing so much. This is great. <laughs> Appreciate it. Thanks. I mean, once again, thanks for having me. You know, this is this is awesome. So that is going to wrap up episode 33 with Taylor Lewis. Hopefully you guys like that one because I honestly did not know what, you know, cystic fibrosis was before I even got into contact with Taylor and you know, it was great to have him on because we could raise a little bit more awareness with this disease and educate ourselves of what we can do to help. So if you know anyone that is struggling with this disease, please, you know, forward them this podcast episode and Taylor's information so he can help out. And again, thank you for listening and supporting this podcast and one way to do that is going on to my patreon page at patreon.com forward slash cut the shit get fit and becoming a supporter and i'll be great and i'm going to continue giving you guys the greatest interviews in the world uh until next time we'll see you guys next week